Have you ever been traveling somewhere and um, took a wrong turn? Find yourself in a part of the city or part of the country you didn't intend to be in. Yep, I see a few nods. Um, yeah, I've taken a few wrong turns in my life as well. And I've been places to places I didn't intend to be. Um, I've also uh, found myself in situations where um, I have gone to the place where I thought I was supposed to be, or I, and I knew I was at the right place, but the people I was supposed to meet weren't there. And maybe they were at the they were at a different in a different location or something to that effect. What, what usually happens when when you get in a situation like that? You go, oh no, I messed up. Oh, I made a mistake. Oh no, all my plans are just falling apart. Oh no. And sometimes we can miss. Sometimes we can miss something else that's supposed to be happening. Something else that's, that maybe God ordained to happen. Maybe something that was supposed to happen there serendipitously. I was at a coffee shop or actually a little cafe, restaurant, and, uh, a week or so ago. And I was sitting alone... My, I, I, my plans got kind of crossed with somebody and I'm sitting there all by myself thinking, why am I here? So instead of getting up and telling the wait staff, hey, uh, I made a mistake, I'm not going to eat here, I'm leaving. I went ahead and, and hung out there and I had a meal and I visited with the, the waitress and... Um, hopefully, hopefully, you know, encouraged her a little bit and ate a meal and spent some time thinking and praying. It was an opportunity that God gave me in the midst of my busy week to have a little bit of downtime and to hear from Him and to encourage another person. Something like that, but I think even more profound, is happening in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, we find God's church, Jesus' church, that He has been building and He has been growing, finds themselves in one of the worst circumstances, worst situations that they could have ever imagined. Their plans were not coming together like they hoped. But God had a plan and a purpose for them nonetheless. Would you look with me again at Acts chapter 8? I will read this aloud. Acts chapter 8, we'll read verses 1 to 13. Please follow along with me as I read. It begins like this. And Saul approved of his execution. More about that in a moment. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. 
Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you will help us to understand what we are hearing this morning. Give us insight into it, understanding. And most of all, God, give us the power by your Holy Spirit to be obedient to this word. To walk out of here being not only hearers of the word, but also doers. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. That first phrase, and Saul approved of his execution, needs a little bit of unpacking. Because we are, we are diving into this, um, this story of the Acts of the Apostles midstream. There's a lot that's gone on. We have chapter 8, so there, was a chapters, there were chapters 1 through 7. Uh, and, and a couple years ago, we actually went through those chapters together as a church. And you can go back and listen to some of our messages online if you want to catch up uh, a little bit. But if you were to go back and read chapters 1 through 7, here's what you'd find out. You'd find Jesus at the end of his earthly minister, ministry following his death and his resurrection, appearing to his disciples, teaching them and continuing to proclaim the kingdom of God to them, and then giving them a commission saying, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. It's the theme verse of the entire book of Acts. You will be my witnesses. And he says it this way. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's telling them, you're going to be my witnesses here, right now, where you are in this city in, in Jerusalem, what we, would, what, we would, what we know as uh, modern Israel and Palestine. And they would be their witnesses, and then they would scatter out from there in Judea and Samaria, and then they would move on from there, and they would preach the gospel. They would be witnesses of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And so the church was established with that commission. They received the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke in other languages, and all of the people gathered in Jerusalem heard it, and they responded. And then the disciples began to do miracles, and the church began to grow, and they began to have fellowship and community with one another. And they began to, see, to, to receive some opposition. The religious leaders said, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Stop doing the things that you're doing because all of the people are going to you and they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, what we want them to do. And so the opposition got from, from stop talking like this to being arrested, to being beaten, to the point where one of, their, one of the disciples, one of the followers of Jesus who came to faith because of, of what the original 
12 disciples or 11 plus 1 uh, preached. He came to faith and he began, became one of those, their leaders. His name was Stephen. And his story is in chapters 6 and 7. And there Stephen preaching the gospel saying, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of our history. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of our scriptures that we've been reading and we've been, we've been, we've been preaching for years and years, generations and generations in Judaism. And Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. And you, people, are not listening to Him. And you have rejected Him. Well, that wasn't a message they wanted to hear. So Stephen, at the end of chapter 7 was executed by being stoned to death. And that's why Saul, a man, a young, youngish man, who was part of the religious group of the day, why he approved of Stephen's execution. And then we see the persecution taking place. We see there arose on that day, that execution was of Stephen was the impetus for a great persecution. And now they were saying, we don't want to just get Stephen, we want to stop the whole thing. So, we're going to persecute all of them. And so what happens is the church is scattered. The church is scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. The apostles themselves, the eleven plus, plus one, who was added to their number after Jesus ascended. So those twelve remained in Jerusalem to, to keep the, the church together, to keep the leadership together. And they buried Stephen. They lamented him. They, took, they, they, they risked much lamenting a, a man who was executed by stoning because to publicly lament this stoning victim, this this, uh, this uh, death row inmate, if you will, was to say to everybody else, we don't approve of his execution. We didn't approve of this. He was a righteous man. He was unfairly executed. And so they risked that, lamenting him, and then Saul, it says, was ravaging the church, violently opposing the church, and going from house to house. He dragged off men and women. He put them in prison. That's the scenario. That's the scene that's going on. Doesn't sound like, to me, like a very good church growth strategy to incite violence, to stir up the people, to go out there and say, hey, all of you people, here's where you're wrong. You've rejected Jesus. And then to be scattered. Maybe, maybe some of the apostles and some of the believers and some of the church were thinking, did we take a wrong turn? Did we, did we go left when we should have gone right? Because we're in the wrong part of town, or we're in the wrong part of the country, or this is not how it was supposed to be. But notice what God, in His sovereignty, was doing. <laughs> Pretty awesome. God was scattering His church. Himself. God Himself 
was scattering his church so that they would go to all Judea and all Samaria. So that they would fulfill the commission. You will be my witnesses. It's uh, interesting um, to think about where we are and what we're doing. And what we're all about. And in a moment I want to show you then what they did. And we'll look at that in a little more detail. But for now, think about God's sovereignty over our lives. God who is in control of where we are and what we do. God who places us in the homes that we are in, places us in the jobs that we are in, the neighborhoods and the cities that we live in for His purposes. We talk about a lot the church gathered together. Because that's what the church is. It's the church uh, in, in verse uh, chapter, or, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, when it says church, the, the word that, that the, the author is using is this word for the assembly or the gathering of God's people. So when we gather together, we are being the church. We are doing what the church does. We come together in this space, gather together to worship God, to glorify Him, to sing of His greatness, to be centered on His Word, which points us to Jesus Himself. So the church is gathered, but then he sa- it says that they were scattered. Up to this point, and this is probably five plus years from, from Jesus' ascension, the church has been developing and growing and moving, but it's been centered in Jerusalem. It's been gathered together, but it hasn't been scattered There were people outside of their city who needed to hear the gospel of Jesus, who needed to hear this witness, who needed to hear of God's greatness. And so Jesus sends them out with persecution. Not exactly the way I'd want to be, but I want us to think about, where are you scattered? I mean, I can look around at every single person here, and I know you all live in different parts of Moxie, different parts of Yakima. You all have different jobs. You work here, you work there. Some of you work outside of Yakima. Some of you work in the heart of Yakima. Some of you work in, in uh, or at least, uh, at least some of the time, work in uh, other parts of the county. We're all scattered throughout our, our area. The question is, what are we doing there? What are we, what, what, how are we declaring the glory of God? How are we displaying the glory of God and His greatness in those areas and in those places? Look with me, pinpoint to verse, verse 4. Now those who were scattered, here's what they were doing. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the Word. Now, if you see that, and you get a little intimidated by that phrase, join the club. You should. But, let me, let, me, let me break it down a little bit for you. Preaching the word, it says. Um, they were preaching the word, which meant that they were declaring, they were speaking God's word about Jesus to other people. So, if I could soften it a little bit, so that 
it makes a little more sense to uh, us every day. They were sharing Jesus with the people that they met. They were sharing Jesus in their relationships. They were sharing Jesus in conversations that they had with people. Maybe they were work. Maybe they were, they were people who uh, uh, met together, gathered together in these places. And someone said, why are you here? What are you doing here? He said, well, um, here's, here's my story. I was in Jerusalem. Um, part, of the, part of the church there, uh, we, we worship Jesus. He's the true Messiah. Um, he's the one we've been waiting for. And now I'm here. Um, don't know exactly where I'm going to go next, but this is where God has me. And so I am, I'm here to, 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 to bear witness to what Jesus has done in my life and to let people know what he can do in their life too. I don't know, maybe they said something like that. Maybe they said it in a different way. I don't know. They probably used a different language, that's for sure. Those who were scattered, <laughs> noticed also that those who were scattered are not the apostles. They were not the twelve disciples. They were everybody else. They were, they were what we would say is just the everyday followers of Jesus. They weren't super uh, educated. They weren't seminary graduates. They weren't ordained pastors or elders or deacons. They were just the saints of God, scattered all over the place, sharing Jesus with the people that they met. That's pretty powerful. I, I, I read that. I read that as a, as, as a young man, and I thought, that's what I'm called to be. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. And, and that, that word echoes through every generation to every believer, and we hear it, and we accept it, or we disobey it, and we say, it's not for me. And so as a young man, I heard that and thought, that's what I need all, to be all about. Long before I was ever a pastor, long before I was ever ordained, long before I ever finished seminary or anything like that, to make whatever I do as, as a follower of Jesus and as a leader of a, of a church uh, official, this, this right here was my calling. Wherever I go, be ready and willing and able and actively sharing Jesus. Think about where you've been sent. Think about where you are. Think about whether or not you're scattered. Then the example is Philip. He said, the, the author goes, let me tell you about Philip as an example of somebody who went about preaching the word. And he said, Philip went to Samaria and he proclaimed to them the Christ. It'd be good to know a little bit about Samaria. Samaria has, was there, uh, was an area occupied for, for hundreds, even thousands of years at this point. And um, when, the, when the ancient nation of Israel was, was waning and, and other nations were coming in and attacking it and breaking it down and starting to shrink its area down to just the Jerusalem and that area around Judea, um, uh, Samaria became a place that was repopulated, 
repopulated with, with the poorest of the people as well as people that came in from foreign nations. And the people who co- were coming in from foreign nations um, started to marry the, the poor people who were left in Samaria. And they started to, to sort of create their own new identity. And there were remnants of the Old Testament. There were remnants of the early books of the, of the Old Testament, the first five books, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And they had a, kind of a, their own unique take on those books. And they sort of took those and, they, and then they brought in some of these other ideas and some of these other religious practices and sort of mixed them all together. And it kind of became what the Jews called a half-breed people and a half-breed religion. And nobody liked the Samaritans. And nobody liked Samaria. But there's Philip sent to these people who are right outside of, of, of the good place to live and the good place to be if you were a Jewish person. And Samaria goes to this city and he proclaims to them the Christ. And what did he say? He said something like this, I just want you to know that the person you've been seeking for, the person you've been looking for, the, the, the great prophet, because... The Samaritans believed in Moses. They had the first five books of the Bible. They knew about Moses. And they thought, hey, Moses was a heck of a great guy. And we are expecting somebody, a new prophet, to come to us like Moses, who's going to be just as good as him, and he's going to teach us something, and he's going to tell us something. And so what what does Philip do? He comes to the Samaritans. He goes, I know these people. I know what they like. I know what they want. And I also know what they believe. And I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to show them that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of their beliefs, of all of their values, of everything that they hold dear, of all of their hopes. And so he tells them, Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the great prophet, the one you've been waiting for. And he declares to them the greatness of God in Jesus Christ. And then he shows them, he displays the greatness of God, and he does these, these great signs. And it says in verse 7, unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. Many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. These great miracles were taking place, just like the apostles had done in the early, in the early part of Acts, in Jerusalem, just as Jesus has, had done throughout his ministry, Philip is displaying the greatness of God and how he served and, and worked among the people. And look what they did. It says, with one accord, they paid attention to what was being said by Philip. They paid attention. They perked up and they said, this is worth taking notes on. I, I, let's pay attention to this stuff. L- let's get this stuff down. Let's... let's Let's be attentive to what he's telling us. This is important stuff. And what was the result? Verse 8 says, And there was much joy in that city. There was much joy in that city. The, uh, the, the greatness of God uh, was, dis- was declared and displayed in Philip's life as a witness to what Jesus had done. And the result is 
that people are paying attention to what Philip had to say. And their lives now are filled with joy. I don't know what their lives were like before. But I got to assume that when the author says something like this, when he says there was much joy in that city, he's implying that prior to this coming, prior to this message, there was no joy in the city. That they were amazed by many things. They had things that they paid attention to, but they had not experienced joy yet. They had not gone from amazement to an inner joy, an inner, what we would also maybe call peace, or hope, or love for each other, and love for God, that they had not experienced up until this point. Well, here's what they had been doing. Verses 9 through 11. There was a man named Simon. And Luke says it like this, the author of this, of this book says it like this, but, but, prior to Philip coming, there was a man named Simon. And he had previously done this. And he, here's what he did. He practiced magic. He performed tricks. They might have been real, true, miraculous things. We don't know. We know that they were, Luke, Luke refers to them as magic. And what he did was amazed the people of Samaria. All the people were like, wow, this guy's amazing. And, and Simon said, I am somebody great. I am a great person. You ought to listen to me. You ought to look at me. You ought to watch what I do. You ought to pay attention to me because I am great. And what did it say in verse 10? They all paid attention to him. From the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. Here were people who believed in God. So now we know a little bit more about the Samaritans, right? They were hoping for somebody. They were looking for a great prophet like Moses to come and save them. They believed in God. They believed in God's power. They believed in God's greatness. But they attached all of that to Simon. This man is the power of God that is called great. And, it's, and then and the author says again, and they paid attention to him. And why? Because for a long time, second time the author has said this, he had amazed them with his magic. So here are the people. Here's what had been going on. Before Philip showed up, before the church was scattered, before Philip said, I am going to obey the commission that God has given to all believers to be his witnesses. Before Philip came and faithfully declared God's greatness and displayed God's greatness, there was a man named Simon who had everybody bamboozled, who had, who had claimed all of the greatness for himself, and all the people paid attention to him, and all the people were amazed with him, and they said, that's God's power. That's the greatness of God. But, verse 12, but when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So, they were they believed and were baptized, all of them. Whether they were men, whether they were women. Why? Because Philip preached 
the good news. Because Philip declared to them something true, something powerful, something great. The kingdom of God, God's rule, God's reign, God's sovereignty over them, over their lives, over their pasts, over their sins and failures, over their future. The kingdom of God, which was there, ready to reign in their lives. And the name of Jesus Christ. The great name of Jesus Christ. And they were baptized, both men and women. A change took place in them. No longer were they simply amazed at the skills and the abilities and the, and the things that Simon could do. No longer did they simply pay attention to what amazed them and entertained them and, and caused them to go, Oh, wow, isn't that great? They came face to face with God's kingdom declared and displayed among them. Preached to them by a faithful witness named Philip. God scattered us to declare and display His greatness in our lives. And I could add to that two other people in these ways or in those ways. God scattered us to declare and display His greatness in our lives. No matter where we are at. No matter what we're doing. How are we to do that? How are we to declare and display God's greatness? Take, take, these, take this passage as a whole and think about three things that we see demonstrated, we see modeled by Philip, modeled by the, the disciples. We declare and display God's greatness in the Word. I talked about that earlier in our welcome. We want to be a, a church that is centered on the Word when we gather together. You, you may wonder, why do we have missional community? Uh, well, okay, that's where people can kind of connect and get to know each other and have fellowship. That's true. But we do that centered around God's Word. Because if we don't have the Word, we don't understand the greatness of God. And, and, and if we don't understand the greatness of God, we're lost. We're going to drift away to other things that are great. Other things that amaze us. It might be the things that entertain us. It might be the things that we, 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 we have our smartphones and we're doing this and we're like, whoa, this is amazing. Did you know there's an app for that? We might be amazed at and, and entertained by and, and somehow fulfilled by the greatness we experience in our relationships that we have with other, with other people. And, and we, ought to, we ought to see the greatness of God in healthy relationships, but oftentimes those relationships aren't healthy. But we think, oh, that's great. I need that. We've, if we don't see the greatness of God in His Word, we are going to, we are going to call the power of God that is called great, we are going to call something else the power of God. We're going to look at something else and say, that's the great thing. That's the thing that I need. So what did they do? 
They, they were scattered about preaching the Word. They said, Jesus is the Word. This is what God's revealed to us. This is the power of God. And the Samaritans found it. They found God's greatness in the Word. Also, how are we to declare, display? Here's another way of not only to declare, but also to display the greatness in our worship. And I use the word worship, just, you know, word worship, and I guess what, there's another W coming. But, may, let, me read, let, me, let me define worship for you. It's not just when we stand here for the first 10 to 15 minutes of our gathering and we sing songs. Or, I like to worship God when I'm in the mountains. Or, I like to worship God when I'm in the car and I turn on Caleb or something like that and I hear these, these Christian songs and that's worship for me. That's not worship. Well, it is. But it's way more than that. And when, when the Bible talks about worship, he talk, the Bible talks about it as our lives. In the Old Testament, they would talk about worship. And sometimes the word in the Old Testament, they would translate as worship. And sometimes they would translate it as service. When we serve God, we worship Him. And what did what did the apostles understand that to mean? What did the early disciples, what did the church understand that to mean? That if we serve not only God, but one another, when we sacrifice for one another, when we say, here's something I have, I don't need anymore, I'm going to sell it, and I'm going to use the resources to serve other people and meet somebody else's need. That's worship. When, when we say, when we see somebody and go, they have a need, emotional, physical, maybe spiritual, and we say, I'm going to take whatever I have, it doesn't have to be money, maybe it's your time, maybe it's your understanding and knowledge of God's Word, and you say, I am going to give that and share that to this other person. I'm going to serve this other person in that way. That's worship. And Philip looked at the people and he saw them in need. He saw that they were, they were possessed by unclean spirits. He saw that they were lame and paralyzed. And God, in His awesome sovereignty, gave him the ability to do something about that, to serve them. To worship God in that act. We declare and display God's greatness in our worship as we serve other people. And then finally, God's greatness it is displayed in our witness. That's all of it. That's who we are, what we say, how we live among the people that were scattered. And look at how Philip witnessed. He preached to them. He proclaimed to them the Christ. He said, this is the answer. This is, this is the hope for you, for me. He didn't hold it in. He didn't keep it to himself. He didn't say, well, maybe if they would just go to church on Sunday, they would hear. Or if they heard a radio broadcast, they would hear and they would get changed. said, I'm here. I'm scattered to these people at this time to declare and display God's greatness 
in my personal witness. Even Simon himself believed it said. Even Simon went, this is amazing. And he believed and says even, he was even baptized. And he continued to hang around with Philip. He's like, I like what you're doing here, Philip. I'm amazed at all of the things that you're doing, all the signs and the miracles that I'm seeing performed. This is pretty amazing. Even the people who, who, are, are, who are false, <laughs> who offer false hope, false gods, false greatness will be amazed at the church when it rises up to witness, to declare and display God's greatness in their lives. Simon's story isn't over. Philip's story isn't over. We'll, look at, we'll see how that wraps up next week. But today, how are you going to respond? You know, when you think about being scattered... <clears throat> A couple things come to mind. One is, all of the places that we normally go to and the places that we work or the places that we frequent, um, maybe uh, for me, for me, it's um, the coffee shop, the, the cafe um, down the street. I hang out there a lot. And to me, I feel like God scattered me to that, that cafe to declare His greatness. And for it to be on His greatness, to be on display in my life and how I serve other people and how I love other people. And then I think about the, the school that my children attend. The schools, three of them. <laughs> and whenever I go to an, a, a, an activity there or I drop off my child there or I, I go to, to turn in paperwork or to bring one of my daughters the lunch that they forgot on the counter, or just whatever it might be, and I think, I'm scattered here to this place. Is God going to give me an opportunity today, now, in this moment, to declare His greatness, to, to display His greatness in how I serve other people? Maybe even just in a kind and encouraging word, or doggone a, a smile to somebody. But then... There are times where weeks may go by where I don't go to those places. And because of the nature of my job, it's easy to hang out in my home or in an office somewhere and be in the Word and studying and preparing or, or being in meetings with other pastors or other leaders in the church and to realize that I'm not scattered anywhere. I'm a hermit. I'm a hermit for Jesus. Daddy will explain what hermit means. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just living in my own little bubble. And nobody who doesn't know Jesus is hearing from me. That's what I struggle with. I struggle with being the kind of person who wants to hang out in Jerusalem. Now there's more going on in the apostles and in the story than just that. But if I could sort of take that, make a point out of it. Let's not be the kind of people 
who hang out in our own little worlds and our own little Christian communities and, and as beautiful and as, and as amazing and as fulfilling as they are, we spend all of our time with other Christians or we spend all of our time keeping, keeping the blinders on and keeping to ourselves and nobody out there is hearing the good news of Jesus from our lips. Nobody's seen the greatness of God from our lives. And that's not the kind of church that we've been called to be. That's not the river church. So I want to challenge you to scatter to those places. To seek them out if that's what you have to do. Find a place where unbelievers gather on a regular basis and be known there and build relationships there so that, so that others will hear the good news that we have and will cease to be amazed at the things the world throws at them. The things that say, hey, this is the power of God that's called great. And they will, be, they will pay attention to that which will give them lasting joy in this life and the next. What are we going to do? How are we going to scatter? How are we going to prioritize our lives and the relationships that we have, the things that capture our attention. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word today and I thank you for giving it to us and challenging my own heart, my own life. Lord, I pray, God. Pray. I pray, God, that you will help us. We need you. We need your power. We need the ability that only you give us and provide us to be obedient to this, to be the witnesses that you have called us to be, to declare the greatness of God in Jesus Christ. That has been become real in our own lives the message of the gospel that has given us such great joy and that has created such a beautiful community, your church, this church, the River Church, is awesome. We thank you, God, for saving us by the blood of Jesus. Father, I pray that that message, that hope that we have, that joy that we have, We will walk out of here in your power to declare it and display it. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.